and said, gold. The second one handed his present and said, myrrh. The third one then gave them his gift and treasure, and he said, and Frank sent this. <laughs> Have you done your Christmas shopping yet? Well, in case you haven't, you know, if you want to drop by my office, I can give you a couple of things to put on your list. But I thought, you know, what do boys want for Christmas? Big boys. Darren remembers accompanying his father out shopping in the toy department on Christmas Eve. Dad said, what a marvelous what a marvelous train set that is. I'll buy it. The young lady behind the counter, uh, seeing his son uh, a distance away, she murmured, great. I'm sure your son will really love it. Dad replied with a glint in his eye, maybe you're right. I'll take, in that case, I'll take two of them. You see, I got to tell you, moms and dads and wives, Dads don't like getting socks and ties and sweaters. They want toys. No matter how old we get, we still want some sort of toy to play with. Just a little tip. But what about girls? The Santa Claus at the shopping mall was very surprised when Emily, a young lady aged about 20 years old, walked up and sat on his lap. Now, we all know that Santa doesn't usually take requests from adults, but she smiled very nicely to him, so he asked her, what do you want for Christmas? Something for my mother, please, replied Emily. Something for your mother? Well, that's a very loving and thoughtful thing, smiled Santa. What would you like me to bring her? Without turning a hair, Emily answered quickly, a son-in-law. And I gotta tell you, moms are like that. I remember my son did not get married early, but my son had a joke. He had a saying when we went to visit him. He used to bet uh, with his wife, who's his present wife now, how long she would, she would wait before she would say, when are you gonna have a baby? And he would time her. And he'd say, oh, a new record, 18 seconds. Moms want the best for us. This morning I want to share with you a message on presence and presence. I think if we got our... No, we don't. Presence and presence. I think we need to recognize that we all love getting presents. And quite frankly, we all love giving presents. We as parents and grandparents uh, love to give our children gifts. And so we go this time of year and we buy and we buy and we buy. And then for some of us, we charge and we charge, and we charge. Yet what do you think pleased the Lord Jesus the most in that stable? Was it the gifts of gold, myrrh, and frankincense? 
that the Magi brought, or was it the very presence of the Magi, Magi with him? I got to believe that Jesus wants more than anything else this season is our presence with him and his presence with us. Ask 150,000 men and women in our military who are now in Afghanistan, in Iraq, what they would like for Christmas. And they would no doubt say, I'd like to be home. I'd like to be with my family. And ask their wives and husbands and children and parents the same question, and I believe you'd receive the same answer. Oh, I'd give anything if they were home. Ask the thousands and thousands of children, orphans, who are in foster homes, what they would like to have. And I believe most of them would say, I'd like to have a family. Jesus wants our presence with him. He wants us to be with him and him with us on an ongoing basis. We can give our children, our family, our friends a lot of different gifts this Christmas, but nothing will compare with us giving them the presence of Jesus. Let me share a couple of things with you this morning about Christmas presents, not gifts, but the presence of Christ, that we are called as disciples and followers of Christ to distribute year-round. First of all, we need to be able to share the pre Christmas presence of Jesus. We need to be willing and have a desire to share the Christmas presence of Jesus. And we can do that in four ways. We can share his presence in the cradle. One little girl came home from a Sunday school uh, memory session, very proud that she had memorized the verse that week. She quoted John 3.16. We know it as for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Her version came this way, God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son. And she went on. I wonder if the Lord looks at the way we spend Christmas and celebrate it, I wonder if he doesn't feel forgotten. We have the Christmas trees all lit up and the decorations all over the landscape, but where is Jesus? In our schools, particularly the public school now, children get winter break instead of Christmas break for the fear of offending someone. Nativity scenes have been uh, eradicated from Christmas displays on government, profit, on government properties for fear of the same thing. I don't know about you, but I remember as a young lad going to Festival of Lights. It always amazed me as I grew up as a young person, and I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I didn't grow up really even knowing much about Christ, but I used to love Christmas 
because I liked to go to the, the, the festival of lights at Christmas time, and my parents would take us, and as I got older, even in the military, I'd go on my own. And even to this day, what really struck me was the creativity that was used in those days to present the nativity scene as the center focus of the festival of lights. And in my mind, I can still see some of those scenes, some of those nativity scenes, that even as a non-believer attracted me to what it was all about. I challenge us this year as I've challenged myself, let me make sure, Lord Jesus, that I understand the real reason for the season and not get lost in all the celebration. The greatest present that we can give to our children, our families, our friends, and our neighbors and co-workers is by sharing with them the presence of the Lord Jesus. As we enter the holiday season, we're going to celebrate Christmas. Let's make it about Jesus. I want to thank you as a church for allowing my wife and I to have last weekend off. It was our 52nd wedding anniversary. I have no idea how she puts up with me for 52 years, but I'm thankful for every second of it. And we actually slept in a stagecoach. It's true. We slept in the back of a stagecoach. And if you'd like, you can do that too. Just go to the West Edmonton Mall. They got all the theme rooms. But ours was a Western theme room, so we slept in a stagecoach. And we enjoyed the weekend together, doing things together. And of course, we were in a mall with lots and lots of stores. And we wandered the mall for a couple of days as we, as we did other things through the city. And uh, Saturday afternoon, uh, we were wandering through and she went into a ladies store to do some shopping. So I said, I don't think I want to go in there. So I sat out in the, in the hallway in the mall, the mall with a bunch of other men whose ladies were also in the store. And we sat there and we just kind of looked at each other and gazed around. And my eye caught an attention of a little kiosk that wasn't far from where I was sitting. And it was a kiosk where they were making uh, military-style ID tags, the kind, of I, the kind I used to wear when I was in the military that had my serial number on it. And so I was watching him for a while, and people were coming and browsing, and some were stopping and getting some ID tags made. And I was looking around at all, was, at all, all the glitter that was around me. And I was thinking about this morning. And I said, Lord, I want this to be all about you. I love the glitter. I love the lights. But I want it to be about you. And so I went over to this ID tag, and I had an ID tag made. And I said, he said, well, what would you like on it? I said, this, this simple phrase, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. And now I wear it around my neck. And I don't wear it under my shirt because I want hope that somebody looks at it and says, what does that mean? You don't want to give me that opportunity. So we need to understand that Christmas story it's about 
is about sharing him in the cradle. But it's also about sharing him on the cross, the presence on the cross. You see, the Christmas story doesn't end at the cradle. The Christmas story goes on to the cross. When we can give the gift of Christ's presence, we also need to give the gift not of the cradle, but the presence of the cross. A lady went to a mall Christmas shopping with her two children. I'm sure you've never done that, but I'm sure you have. After many hours of looking after, at row after row of toys and everything else imaginable, and after hours of hearing both her children asking for everything they saw on the many shelves, she finally made it to the elevator with her two kids. She was feeling what so many of us feel during the holiday season time and, was, and the overwhelming pressure to go to every party, every housewarming, taste all the holiday foods and treats, get the perfect gift for everyone on her list, make sure they didn't forget anyone on their card list, and the pressure of making sure that she responded to all of the cards. Finally, the elevator doors opened, and there was already a crowd on the elevator. But she pushed her way into the elevator and dragged her two kids with her and all the bags and stuff. When the doors closed, she couldn't stand it any longer. And so she said, from the, so she said, whoever started this whole Christmas thing should be found, strung up, and shot. From the back of the car, elevator car, they heard a quiet, calm voice respond, don't worry, we already crucified him. You see, the Christmas story doesn't end at the cradle. It's also the presence of the cross. The cradle without the cross means nothing. Many in our 21st century, I think, are content to keep Jesus in the cradle. Because then the baby doesn't have much impact on our life. But we must remember what makes Christmas truly real and special was his presence on the cross. Jesus came to die. He was ordained before the foundation of the world to go to the cross. So the true Christmas story is not full of, uh, of, of just the cradle, but it's also the presence of the cross. And thirdly, we need to share the presence after the cemetery. The story does not end at the cradle, but neither does it end at the cross. If it ended there, the, the cross would accomplish nothing if Jesus remained in the cemetery. A young girl was looking through the window of a department store. Tears were running down her cheeks as she looked at the picture inside the store window of Jesus hanging on the cross in agony. A man, to be, a man happened by and stopped to see if the little girl was all right. He too soon began looking at the picture in the window. Soon he lowered his head, slumped his shoulders and began to walk away. But as he did, the little girl called out to him, Mister, Mister, she said, I think you should know this. 
He lives. He lives. The babe in the manger grew up, went to the cross and died and gave himself as a ransom for all of the world. But he also lives and his presence is here today and his presence is here with you. His presence lives in you and he too will rise you. And so fourthly, we need to share his presence in the clouds. Share his presence in the clouds. The cradle, the cross, the seminary, cemetery, but he'll also return in the clouds. We also need to tell people and be excited about the fact that he will return and he will return in the clouds. And so we need to be a community of believers and Christ followers who are willing to share the presence of the living Jesus. The presence that can indwell them and indwells us. But secondly, we need to give the world the presence of our love. We need to give the world the presence of our love. Jesus loved us so that we could love others. I remember reading a story some time back about a lady who was taking her children to see her new friend. She told her children as they drove over to make certain that they, be, that they cleaned their feet before entering because her friend had just replaced her carpet with brand new carpet. And she was very proud of it. As the family arrived at her friend's home, and the children were careful to wipe their feet. But soon after arriving, her friend gave the children some Kool-Aid and cookies. The mother warned the children not to take it into the living room on the new carpet. But her youngest son soon adventured off into the living room, and as you can probably guess, spilled red Kool-Aid all over the new carpet. The little boy was so scared he tried wiping away with his, with his shirt tail, but that didn't work. So soon he started to cry. This new friend quickly came to his side and the little boy began to tell her how sorry he was that he had spilled his Kool-Aid. This friend looked at, looked at him and said, honey, don't worry. I'll get you some more Kool-Aid. You see, her friend had her priorities right. She knew that the little boy had learned a valuable lesson without scolding him, and she knew that all he needed was a little love. Because we have the presence of Christ within us, we have the power to love the unlovable. We have the power to reach out with that love to those around us. But also we need to demonstrate the presence of our life by intercession and fellowship. You know, when I speak with Christian brothers and sisters who I know and love, and we have open conversations, and I need to share with you that as Christians we don't often have real open conversations. We have guarded conversations with each other 
because we really we really don't want to kind of let out. But I'm getting much bolder at that now that I'm I'm this old because what can you do to me? All you can do is fire me. So I'm getting much bolder. And when I ask Christians about this, this friend of theirs that is lost and doesn't know Jesus, and they say, you know, what can I do? And, 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 and I, you know, I, I'm afraid to tell them about, I said, are you praying for them? See, I want to say to you folks that if you have loved ones in your family and you have loved ones in your co-worker places or you have loved people in your school that you want to know Jesus and you're afraid or you don't have the comfort to tell them, the one thing you can do for them is you can pray for them. You can intercede with Jesus on their behalf. And the Bible says... In Matthew chapter 1, when, when the angel spoke with Joseph and Mary, you shall have a son and you shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. And so we need to be people who are intercessing. We need to be people who love those around us enough to pray for them. I got to tell you that corporate prayer is being lost in the Christian community, but that does not mean that prayer is being lost. But when I have someone say to me, I love this person and I worry about them because they're lost, my first question is, are you praying for them? The presence of our love is not only that we love people, but we are willing to pray for them and build a relationship with them. I've, said, I've shared some of you I'm shared with some, I've shared with some of you my experience with buying my new spiritual car. If you go by the parking lot now, you'll recognize it immediately. It's called a soul. So I call it my spiritual car. But when I went to buy it, and I was at the Kia dealer, I met the sales manager his name is Gordon. And he's had cancer, he had deformed face, but he could speak well, and he was still in his recovery process. And he was asking me questions, you know, to fill out for my registration, and what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, we got a lot in common. I said, really? That's cool. Tell me about it. He said, well, he said, I had cancer, and he talked about the deformity in his face, and he said, I pray every day now and thank God for, for uh, you know, being with me. I said, that's wonderful. And who's God? Well, you know God. I said, yeah, well, who is he? He said, I, don't, I, I pray every day to him. I said, that's good. But I said, do you have a relationship with him? Do you actually have a relationship with him? And he looked at me kind of puzzled. And I said, yeah, a relationship. You know him, he knows you. So we went on and we talked for a while. And at the end of the day, as we finalized the car, he actually charged me more than the salesman, which was strange. He was just a good upgrader. As I was walking out, he came and tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, I want you to know that this is probably the best day of my life. 
that someone would take the time to tell me what you just told me. And I said, well, when you go to home tonight, Gordon, you lay your head on your pillow. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking and he wants to come in. And when you lay your head in your pillow tonight, will you invite him in? Would you just, would you invite him in? Because when you do, you have a relationship. Gordon and I meet and talk every week and he's growing. But part of our love, the presence of our love must include whoops, the reality that we expect Emmanuel to be with us. And when we expect Jesus to be with us, we should have no fear about telling people who he is. You shall give him the name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. I want to share with you this, this Christmas what family really means. It's a story, true story of Marjorie Talcott. She's an author, and she was, she was a, a parent in the dirty 30s when our country was not good. She was married and had one child during the Great Depression. The family managed to scrap their way through, but as Christmas approached one year, Marjorie and her husband were disappointed that they would not be able to buy any presents. A week before Christmas, they explained to their six-year-old son, Pete, that there would be no store-bought gifts this Christmas. But I'll tell you what we can do, said Pete's father. We can make pictures of the presents we would like to give each other. That was a busy week. Marjorie and her husband set to work. Christmas Day arrived and the family arose from their skimp and, and, and found their skimpy little tree, a magnificent picture, the, the magnificent pictures that were adorned with it. There was a luxury beyond imagination in those pictures. A black limousine and a red speedboat for dad. A diamond bracelet and a fur coat for mom. A camping tent and a swimming pool for Pete. Then Pete pulled out of, out of his pocket a crayon drawing of a man, a woman, and a child with their arms wrapped around each other and laughing. Under their picture was just one word, us. Marjorie went on to say it was the most powerful Christmas she'd ever had. What is the image that you have in your mind about your relationship with Jesus? Do you see him and you together and under your little crayon picture in your heart, the word us. You see, we are part of God's family. We are part of the kingdom. And we are one great huge body of brothers and sisters. 
And we have a presence within us that God wants us to give out. Christmas is a time of giving gifts. We all receive them and we all give them. But what the world needs more than anything else from us is the gift of the presence of Jesus. Will you look for opportunities as we prepare ourselves for the communion? Will you look for opportunities, windows of opportunities, this Christmas, wherever you might be, and especially within your families? Because if your family is like my family, there are those in our family that don't know Jesus. And I can give them all the gifts I want to. But the greatest gift I can give them is take the time and the willingness to share the presence of Jesus. That's our call. But let's share the whole presence. Because if we just share the baby, we're missing the mark. The world loves to hear the story about the baby. But they need to, they need to hear the story of the cross, the story of the resurrection, and the story of our resurrection. I'm going to ask those who are joining us this morning for communion to come forward, those who are helping serve. <clears throat> 